0: I am excited to begin this new series with you this morning. And as he said, we start in the book of Hosea. And here's what you need to know, just kind of background for Hosea. Uh, At this point in Israel's history, the people of God had divided into two separate nations. You had the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. And Hosea was from the northern kingdom of Israel. And life in Israel was great at this point. I mean, they were prospering. They had economic prosperity. They had uh, peace. They had stability. They had cultural flourishing. You would really want to live in Israel during this time because life was great. And then, news of a scandal broke out. The news that a prophet of God had married a prostitute. And then that prophet started going around proclaiming a message of judgment upon the people of Israel saying that they themselves were like a prostitute. That they had been unfaithful to God. That they had broken the covenant of God. And listen, if you were Israel, this was terrifying news because they knew that if you broke the covenant, there were going to be consequences. And so they were left wondering, well, what is God going to do? What is he going to do about our unfaithfulness? And, and you see, even though the nation of Israel was flourishing at this time, spiritually, the people were falling apart. At this point in Israel's history, they were engaging in idolatry all the time. They were setting up altars to other gods and false gods. They were rebelling against the Lord. They were participating in sexual immorality. They were known for social injustice. Even though other nations would say, man, Israel is great, the Lord said, Israel has gone astray. They're falling apart spiritually because they had abandoned covenant faithfulness to the Lord. And here's what I don't want us to do. I don't want us to go, okay, pastor, this is a minor prophet written thousands of years ago. What does this have to do with me? I want us all to pay attention this morning because what you're going to find very surprising is how our lives today look a lot like the lives of Israel back then. I think what's going to shock us as we listen to Hosea's message is how it's going to sound like he's talking to us rather than Israel. It's going to sound like he's got cameras going on in our house and he knows what's going on in our lives, in our minds, and in our hearts It's going to sound like we are in the same place Israel was back then. And we're going to realize that we have been just as unfaithful as they were. And we've been unfaithful in many of the same ways that they had been. That we have provoked the Lord to anger. That we deserve His judgment today. And we're going to be left asking the same question that they asked then. Well, what's God going to do about it? How does God address and deal with our unfaithfulness? If we know that there are consequences for disobedience and for unfaithfulness, then then what exactly is God going to do? How does He address and deal with our unfaithfulness? I want us to pay attention, and and as we begin, we need to understand what's going on with this whole marriage. So so look at verses 2 and 3. The Bible says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom." For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim. And she conceived and bore him a son. Now I just want you to imagine living in Israel at this time. Imagine the headline on this day. Breaking news, the ticker says at the bottom of the screen that they didn't have back then. Prophet of God marries local prostitute. That would have been shocking, right? I mean, I know, listen, I get it. We live in a 24-hour news cycle, so, and there's a new scandal every single day, so we're kind of used to scandals at this point, right? Like, it, we expect them. It's not a shock when we hear that a scandal broke. We're like, oh, yeah, it's Tuesday. Of course it did. So. But back then, this would have absolutely rocked the people of Israel because this is not something that prophets did. Prophets were not supposed to marry prostitutes. That was wrong. That was against what God wanted. This was a scandal of unimaginable proportions. And what we have to understand here is that God is using the marriage of Hosea and Gomer as an illustration of his relationship with the people of Israel. You see, this is what the Bible says in Isaiah 54 verse 5. God says to his people, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. And so God is saying, I am supposed to be your husband. So Gomer is going to serve as a picture of the whole nation of Israel. They are an unfaithful bride, an unfaithful people to the Lord. But This is something that often gets overlooked when you find sermons and preaching on Hosea. The children are incredibly significant because each child serves as a message to Israel. Every time Hosea and Gomer have a child and they name that child, the Lord is actually revealing a way in which Israel has been unfaithful and what He intends to do about their unfaithfulness. And so I want us to pay attention, because if we really want to know how does God address and deal with our unfaithfulness, we need to see what He said to them. So, so look with me at verses 4 through 5, if you have your Bibles there. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a, lot, a, while, a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Now, that's the son's name. But you have to understand that Jezreel, it was a town in northern Israel. It was significant for a number of reasons. But really, the most significant thing that happened there was revolving around a man named Jehu. Anybody remember Jehu? Oh, yeah. Uh, Elisha the prophet went and anointed Jehu, the new king of Israel, but there was a different dynasty currently ruling at that time. And what did Jehu do? He went and slaughtered the entire royal family of Israel. And it happened in the valley of Jezreel. It was a bloodbath. I mean, he murdered everyone. And, and you see, the, the name Jezreel, the word Jezreel, it literally just means scattered in the Hebrew. But from that point on, anytime someone heard the word Jezreel, they thought bloodshed. That's how significant this became. And, and it shouldn't be surprising to us because we do this with certain words all the time, right? I mean, you, you hear the word Watergate. You immediately think political corruption, scandal, right? Or anytime there is a new uh, scandal or some sort of corruption, people just put the word gate on the end of it, right? So, so like, you know, A few years ago when the New England Patriots were deflating footballs. (laughs) For whatever reason, they had Tom Brady at the time, but you still got it. Anyways, that's not the sermon. So, it was called Deflate Gate, right? It was just hearkening back to Watergate because we associate all scandals with that great big scandal. Well, in Israel's day, when they heard the word Jezreel, they no longer thought scattered. They thought bloodshed and disaster. And this would have been shocking because this was a horrific event in the history of Israel. I mean, when people heard this kid's name, it would have really caused them some problems. If if you want an example, it would be like today if a modern-day Jew were to name his son Auschwitz. If you can imagine the emotion and the disgust and the hatred that hearing such a name would cause the Jewish people today, then you're starting to get the picture of what this name Jezreel did to the people of Israel in their own day. And you have to remember that each child is a message. And this firstborn son is a message about Israel's future. It's a grim depiction of what they can expect. Because here's the problem, folks. The people of Israel had been ignoring the Lord and engaging in idolatry and sexual immorality for too long. You see, when God first called Israel to be his people, he said, You were to be holy as what? As I am holy. They were to to reflect the holiness of God. They were called out of the world and they were supposed to be distinct from the surrounding nations. But they had abandoned that completely. They had abandoned holiness. Now, they were doing everything the nations did. They looked exactly like the nations. They had lost all of their distinctness as the people of God. And so because of their unfaithfulness to the Lord, the Lord is saying here their future is going to resemble that of Jezreel. It would be one in which they are scattered. It would be one in which there would be bloodshed and disaster. He is saying judgment is coming and it is going to be dire. And if you think that's bad, just wait till you see what the next child has to say to us. Look at verses 6 through 7. The Bible says, She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name lo Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow, or by sword, or by war, or by horses, or by horsemen. We have Hosea having a a, a daughter at this point, his only little girl. Some of your translations will use the Hebrew, some will use just an English translation. The little girl's name is Lo-Ruchamah. And in Hebrew, you have to understand the word lo just means no or not. And Ruchamah just means loved or pitied. could be mercy in some situations. And so if you really want to know what her name actually means, her name means not loved. Now, again, don't detach this from the historical situation. Imagine that Gomer gives birth to this little girl. And after a few days, Hosea takes his newborn daughter and he goes outside to present her to neighbors and friends, to the grandparents who were there. And he says, this is our baby girl the Lord has blessed us with. Her name is not loved. Who's your girl? She's not loved. I mean, imagine the stares he would have gotten. Imagine the anger and the outrage that Hosea's parents and Gomer's parents would have felt having to refer to their only granddaughter as not loved. Imagine the little girl herself when she got older and realized what her name meant. Knowing that her parents called her not loved. And here's what happens. People read this passage and they see what it's saying and they go, why would God do something like this? Why would God allow Hosea to do something like this? Why would He allow such confusion and hurt to take place? And folks, we like to point the finger at God for problems that are ours, do we not? Because this has nothing to do with what God has done and a problem on His part. It all comes back to the people of Israel. He says, you know why I'm calling this little girl not loved? Because you don't love me, Israel. At this point in Israel's history, they had lost all love for God. Now, now, understand me, they still would have called themselves the people of God, wouldn't they? Yep. They still acknowledge God. They still, you know, would would say that He exists. They would still go worship in the temple and, and participate in religious activities. But that's not love. If love is nothing more than simply believing that another person exists and simply doing a couple things for them, that is incredibly shallow, is it not? That is not love. It was nothing but lip service. And listen, Jesus saw that same attitude in his own day among the religious leaders and the Pharisees. He saw that they did not actually love God and he called them out for it. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9, he said, You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts, their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I think that's a message for us today as well, don't you? A lot of people like to give lip service to the Lord. They will worship and acknowledge God with their lips while their hearts are far from Him. You see, folks, we have a problem in the church today. It's the same problem Israel had in Hosea's day, and it's the same problem the religious leaders had in Jesus' day. Everyone who would call himself a Christian convinces himself that he does truly love God because he says that he does. But in reality, very few people today actually do love the Lord. Most people today are content to just play religion. Come to church. Do a couple religious activities. Most people today are content to give lip service to the Lord. Most people today are content to simply acknowledge that God exists. They profess belief in Him. But again, that's not love. I believe I have a wife. Does that prove I love my wife? No. If that's all I have to fall back on, you should start praying for my marriage, okay? And for some reason, many people today believe That they can go on living in sin and disobedience and claim that they love God and still get to experience the special love that God only has for His people. It's because we have no understanding of the love of God today. I mean, we have sang some great songs today, have we not? I mean, just some wonderful songs about the love of God. But, But we misunderstand it so much today. Yes, God is love, but under, listen to me, God is love, but that does not mean that God approves of everything you do in your life. Do you understand that? God is love, but that does not mean that he accepts everything that we do and everything we say of ourselves and everything that we desire in love. God is all loving, but he still hates our sin and despises our sinful choices. God is all-loving, but He hates when we love other things more than Him. When there is something else on the thrones of our hearts rather than Him. You see, we make a huge mistake today, church, when we imagine that God loves every single person in the entire world in the exact same way. Because He doesn't and He shouldn't. I wanted to let that one marinate for a second, okay? Because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not saying God does not love all people. I believe He does. I'm saying God does not love all people in the world in the exact same way, nor should He. And the fact that we can't all agree to that and say amen to that is a shame. Because the Bible teaches that the church is the bride of Christ, does it not? Jesus is the bridegroom. And understand something, folks, the bridegroom has a special love for his bride that not everyone is entitled to. I mean, I would say that I love the women of our church, but the love that I have for them is absolutely nothing like the love that I have for my wife, nor should it be, correct? If I loved every woman in this church in the exact same way that I love my wife, that does not make me a better man, that makes me a bad husband right? Well, in the same way, God has a special love for his bride. And if he were to love every person in the entire world in the exact same way as his bride, it would not make him a better God. It would make him a bad husband. He has a special love for his bride that not everyone is entitled to. And I want you to understand something here. There's a warning, not just for Israel, but there's a warning for the church today right here. Uh, Hosea is telling us that we are fooling ourselves if we think that we can ignore God and continue to live in sin and still get to enjoy the special love that he has for his bride alone. It does not work that way. God says to the person who would continue to live in willful, uh, habitual, unrepentant sin, you will be called low ruchamah. Not loved in that special sense. It's a pretty bad message so far, right? You got a bad future. You're not loved. If you think that's bad, listen to what he says with this next child. Verses 8 and 9. When she had weaned, Lo-Ruchamah, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name, Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Call the boy, Lo-Ami, not my people. See, this last child would have been the most heartbreaking message that they had heard so far. Because when God first told Moses that He was going to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt and take them to Himself, He made them this promise in Exodus 6-7. He says, I will take you to be My people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you up from under the burden of the Egyptians. Out of all the nations on earth, God chose Israel alone to be his treasured possession. Out of all the nations on earth, God chose Israel alone to be his people. And he said, you will be my people, I will be your God, and we will have a special, a special covenant relationship together. And even through their many years of disobedience and going astray, the Lord had never forsaken his people. He had never disowned his people. But now, he says, their idolatry, Their sexual immorality, their unfaithfulness, their lack of love has become too much for him. And he says, if they continue in their unfaithfulness, he will be done with them. They will no longer be his people. And he will no longer be their God. Now, again, I want you to do something for me. I want you to think about the lives of professing Christians today. Think about about all the lives of professing Christians today. If you'll indulge me a little bit further, would you do me a favor and think about your own life for a moment? And and let's all have honesty. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands. I'm not going to ask you to speak aloud. This is just between you and God. I want you to look and search your heart for a moment because I want to show you how we are just like Israel today. I mean, think about priorities, right? We said Israel was no longer prioritizing the Lord. They had abandoned Him. Well, do we prioritize the Lord as we should today? No, no, no. We prioritize our hobbies. We prioritize our activities, our interest, our leisure, our entertainment. God says that we should put Him first in our lives. The Bible teaches us that God should be on the throne of our hearts, that He should be first in our lives, and everything else in our entire life should be built around God and His purpose and His mission. Amen? Isn't it crazy that we do the exact opposite? You go throughout your calendar and you go, okay, here's all the stuff I'm going to do this year, and if I have time for anything God-related, I can put it in on these dates. I will prioritize my whole calendar around activities, hobbies, interests, leisure, entertainment, all this kind of stuff, and then I'll just fit God into my schedule so long as He doesn't interfere with anything else. We have the same attitude as the people of Israel then. So let me ask you a question. If we can be honest with ourselves for a moment and you're taking time to reflect, if that was true of Israel and is true of us, why should we expect a different future than the one he warned them of here? I mean, think about our love. God said Israel had no longer loved him. What about us, church? Do we really love the Lord the way we should? Do we truly love God with all our hearts? All our minds, all our strengths, all our wills, all our souls. Do do we really love God in that way? No. Again, we, we say that we do. We say, I love God. Anybody can say that. We acknowledge God. We profess to believe in God. We call ourselves Christians. We certainly go to God and run to Him whenever we're facing a crisis, but we don't really love the Lord the way that we should. We love other things. We put other things in the place of God. When we should be loving Him first, we say, I actually love this thing first, God, and you're kind of down on my tier list. If we examine our hearts this morning, we have to admit that for most of us, the Lord is not first in our hearts. And so again, let me ask you a question. If it was true of Israel, and it's true of us, why would we think that we are going to be allowed to continue to experience the special love that He only has for His people? And if we're honest this morning, we have to admit that many people who profess to be Christians have abandoned God as their God. They don't think that they have, do they? They would never realize that for themselves, most of them. Because again, they do call themselves Christians, many of them do go to church, but they don't really serve God alone. They aren't really fully devoted to God alone. Most people today who call themselves Christians are content to practice the faith however they deem right. And so they come up with their own idea of Christianity and they say, God of course loves me because look, I'm living according to this version of Christianity that I've created. But we don't actually fully commit to God. I think one of the clearest ways that we see that is the fact that we have no commitment to the local church anymore. And it's an absolute shame when you see how much of a priority the church is when you begin to read the Bible. But we have no commitment to the local church anymore. Most people today say, well, yeah, we'll go to church if nothing else comes up. We'll go to church so long as I don't have anything else going on that day. So long as it's not too pretty of a day because then I've got to go to the lake. And so long as it's not raining because then I'll melt. If it's somewhere in between, maybe a little clouds, it's overcast. If I feel all right, if I don't oversleep, if I'm not too tired, we come up with all sorts of excuses. But in reality, let's just call sin, sin. We have no commitment to God and his church because we don't want to. It's like we said this past Wednesday night, something you won't hear in most pulpits. But the reason we sin, it's not because the devil made me do it. It's not because someone tempted me. We sin because we want to. And God has a message for that today. If this is true of Israel and it's true of us, why should we expect to continue to get to be called the people of God when most people today have hardly anything to do with God? Isn't that ironic that the people who would call themselves the people of God typically only have anything to do with God once a week? I don't know. Maybe you think about that. My point is this. You look at our lives today... You look at the lives of Israel then, and you will realize that we are in the same place they were then. We're just as unfaithful to the Lord. And He said to them, your future will be one in which you are scattered. Your future will have bloodshed. You are not loved. You are not my people. And I am not your God. So what do you think God says to us today? Why on earth would we expect a different message today? And so we end up being in that same place as Israel, right? Where we say, well, what's God going to do then? If there are consequences for disobedience and unfaithfulness, and we all have to admit, maybe it's just me, but I think we all have to admit we're in that place today. We've been disobedient. We've been unfaithful. What is God going to do? How is He going to address and deal with our unfaithfulness? And it's going to shock you. Look at what He says in verse 10 and following. We're expecting the the hammer to come down now. Here comes the final blow, the lightning from heaven. And He says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not My people, it shall be said to them, Children... Of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up for the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, You are my people. And say to your sisters, You have received mercy. Now, I don't want you to miss what's going on here. He's promising that a great reversal is going to take place here. And it's easy to miss in the English because, you see, Jezreel, it can mean scattered, or Jezreel can also mean planted. And so he's saying, here's a great reversal that's going to take place. The ones who were scattered, they're going to be gathered together and planted in one place. He says, here's another great reversal. The ones who were called lo ruchama, not loved, will be now called. Ruchamah loved. The ones who were called low on me, not my people, will be called on me, my people. And you're you're wondering what happened here? <laughs> right? We were expecting the judgment, we were expecting the hammer to come down. How did this happen? And it's through an act of incredible, scandalous, relentless love. Because I want you to see what happens later in Hosea. In, in Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. This is God speaking to Hosea, and He says, And the Lord said to me, Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. And so I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and a homer and a lechicth of barley, You see, at this point in the story, Gomer had abandoned Hosea again. She had left him, she was unfaithful, and she was selling herself off. And she was dead set on doing it. Now all of Hosea's friends would have said, just let her do it. You see, she's unfaithful and she wants to sell herself off. You don't want to be with a woman like that, so just let her do it. But then God says to Hosea, go again and love a woman who is loved by another man. God uses Hosea as a redeemer to go and buy back Hosea or Gomer. And and it's not just that. He's actually a picture of a greater redeemer who was to come. Because you see, folks, it's a picture of an unfaithful bride who is dead set on selling herself off and submitting herself to slavery, but praise be to God that she has a faithful husband who goes and pays a price for her life and buys her back so that he can take her to himself. Folks, we have here a picture of the Gospel. It's a picture of Jesus in the church. And it's wonderful. I mean, I want you to just imagine this scene in heaven. Imagine the angels, okay? Okay? The angels have been looking down on the children of man ever since the beginning of our creation, right? Ever since God brought Adam into this world, the angels have been looking down on us. And they look down on us and they see our unfaithfulness. They see how we don't prioritize the Lord. They see how we don't love the Lord. They see how we have almost nothing to do with the Lord. They see how we give ourselves to sins and submit ourselves as slaves to sin. And the angels turn to the Lord and they say, what are you doing with these people? You see how they don't love you? You see how they don't care about your purpose and your mission? You see how they have nothing to do with you? They don't really prioritize you? If they want to submit themselves as slaves to sin, just let them. If they're content to sell themselves off, don't concern yourself with them anymore. Just be done with these people, Lord. And who could blame them? They're right. But then the father turns and he looks to the son and he says, Go. Love again an unfaithful bride. Buy her back. What's the price, Father? It's the price of your own life. It's the price of your blood. Win her over with your relentless, faithful love. And even though we deserve punishment and death and condemnation and judgment, we see how God actually... Addresses and deals with our unfaithfulness. God pursues us with relentless love and He redeems us with the Savior's blood. God pursues us with relentless love and He redeems us with the Savior's blood. See, here in the first minor prophet, we have a picture of the gospel, and it's so good. Because the name Hosea, it means salvation in Hebrew. Salvation came to Gomer that day when she was selling herself off. Salvation was promised to the people of Israel and salvation has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is the greatest love story the world has ever known. That Jesus would leave the glories of heaven to come to earth and pursue us with His relentless love and redeem us with His blood. It's also the greatest scandal the world has ever known too. If you think it was a scandal for Hosea to go back and buy Gomer, it's an even greater scandal for Jesus to buy us back. But because you have Jesus Christ who is literally God in the flesh, and He's buying back what already belongs to Him. You have Jesus Christ, the innocent Son of God, dying a criminal's death on a sinner's cross for our sins. You have the giver of life who gives up his life so that a bunch of ungrateful, undeserving, unworthy, unfaithful sinners like us might actually live. It's the greatest love story the world has ever known. It's the greatest scandal. It is a scandal of grace and it's a scandal of love. And praise God for it. Amen? You see, this is not just a message for Israel because I want you to understand as we go through this and you see what God is saying to us, I think many people in here could relate to the message of Jezreel. And maybe this morning you feel scattered. You feel far off. If you're honest with yourself this morning, you would say that there's a lot of distance between you and God. And maybe you would say at one point you feel like you were closer to God than you are now. I know a lot of people feel that way. Well, here's the good news for you this morning. Those who are far off are brought near through the blood of Christ. That's the good news. Those who are far off, who are Jezreel, who are scattered, are brought near by the blood of Christ. That distance is closed by Jesus' sacrifice. Because here's what I want to tell you this morning. If you would say, that you at one point in your life felt closer to God than you are now, I can promise you something, God's not the one who moved. Our rock doesn't move, does He? If you feel like you were closer at one point, it's because you have. You've moved. And the good news is, God's not keeping you at arm's distance, and at arm's length, and saying, no, 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 you got to do a bunch of stuff before I'm going to welcome you back. He says, come to me through Jesus. Look again to the blood of Christ. And draw near to me through him. I think other people in here might relate to the message of lo ruchamah. Not loved. Maybe you don't feel very loved in your life. But I think maybe if you begin to look at your life this morning. You realize that you don't actually love the Lord as you ought to. That your love is nothing but lip service. That God is not first in your heart. And here's what I understand. I know this personally. When you begin to realize the depths of your sin and your depravity, and you see how unfaithful you are to God, and you realize what you deserve, and you see all that's all the sin that's in your past, and you go, God, I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. I'm a terrible person, Lord. How could God ever love someone like me? Of course I'm low ruchamah. Of course I'm not loved. How could He love someone like me? I want to remind you that the gospel tells us that the love of God is proven by the sacrifice of Christ. This is good news if you understand what I'm saying. It means that God's love for you has nothing to do with you. How freeing is that, church? It means that God's not saying, I will love you if you'll go and clean your life up first, you get to a good place, you start doing a bunch of religious activities, you cut up some stuff from your life, and then you come to me. I'll love you then. He says, come as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up. I'll do it for you. God's love for you is not based on your performance or how good you are or even how much sin you have in your past. If you want to know how God could love someone like you and you doubt whether or not He does, you look to the cross of Christ. And you see the love of God pouring out for you on the cross of Christ. You can never doubt that. So don't look to yourself. Don't look to your life. Look to Christ. Or maybe for you it's low on me. And you feel convicted this morning, and maybe you have felt convicted for a while now that you aren't actually a Christian. That you don't actually belong to the people of God. Maybe you realize you've never truly repented. You've never truly trusted in Christ. You look at what the Bible says a Christian should be, and then you look at your life and you go, that's not the same. They don't match up there. And you begin to to realize that you're not part of God's people. I want to tell you this morning that strangers become citizens through faith in Christ. Strangers become citizens through faith in Christ. Christ. So God is not saying, hey, just because you're not part of my people now doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. The Bible tells us if you would turn from your sins and truly repent of them, truly lay them down at the feet of Christ, and you turn in faith and trust to Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You will be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the eternal Son of God. And it has nothing to do, again, with what you can earn or achieve. It has to do with what Jesus Christ has done for us, folks. This whole message is just about how great Jesus is. The story of Hosea and Gomer is the story of the Gospel. It's the prelude to the greatest love story ever told. And more than anything, this story shows us that God is loving and faithful, listen to me, even when we are faithless. Even when we fail, even when we go astray, our rock doesn't move. He is always faithful. And so believers, I want us to rejoice this morning because this is our story, is it not? This is amazing. Everything that's promised here is true of us. The ones, all of us, who were called far off, who were called strangers to the covenants of God and the promises of God, we have been brought near and made one in Christ We who were called not loved have become loved. We who were called not His children have become children of the living God. All because Jesus pursued us with relentless love and redeemed us with His blood. Surely He is worthy of our praise. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.